Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. You know, Happy New Year, everybody. It's hard to believe it's already 2023. Uh, Paul Whaley came and did the baptism. I wanted you to know who Paul was. Uh, Paul actually grew up here. His mom, Nancy, was the music secretary here when I came here. His dad was a deacon here, uh, Eddie, Eddie and Nancy. And uh, Paul was a student pastor in the area. And then he went to uh, Huntsville, Alabama and, and became a student pastor there. And then he planted a church. And he's been doing that church for 20 years now um, and came over to, to do this baptism. But we appreciate Paul being here. And be sure and say hey to Paul. And you guys remember Eddie and Nancy. Some of, some of the, us older folks will remember them. So, hey, I was walking through Sam's this past week, and I noticed something different. Before Christmas, when I would walk into Sam's, you know, Sam's warehouse store, when you would walk into Sam's, uh, before Christmas, it was all about cookies and candy and, and uh, baking things and uh, celebratory Christmas kind of things all on your left as you walked in. And then that first big main drag was all about all of those kind of food items, super sweet stuff. Well, this past week I walked in and I noticed that right there where the cookies used to be, there's now protein shakes. And all the way down, it's exercise equipment. And I thought, we are so predictable I mean, we will swing from excess to regret. Every year, we gorge ourselves, and then at the end of all of that, we decide, okay, no more, I'm going to be different. I'm not going to do this. This year, I'm going to start doing that. And we make our resolutions. And I got to looking at this year's resolutions that I plan to do, and the sad thing is they look exactly like the ones I planned to do last year. Why is it that resolutions don't work? Why is it that every year we resolve to do the very thing that we resolved to do last year? Well, I think there are at least two things that are working against us. The first is habits. And habits are hard to break. Um, And some habits go all the way back to childhood. I want to lose 25 pounds, but I love donuts. And I blame my mother. Every morning when I was a little kid... Uh, me or my brother Ben, we had to go to the store, the, we had a little convenience store, and we'd get on our bicycle and we'd ride to the convenience store, and for 60 cents, you could buy a dozen donuts, believe it or not. And we'd come home, and I had th- two brothers, so there were three of us, and we would divide them up, and every one of us ate four donuts every morning. Can you imagine what we were like in first grade and second grade? Just jacked up on sugar, mom had sent us out. I think it was her revenge on the school system, you know? But... Uh, throughout my life, I love donuts to this day because donuts are pleasant memories for me. And those, those habits of, of eating have, have been a part of our lives at, at the Dye family. We don't drink, so, we, so we're gluttonous. You know, that's our answer to not being drunkards is gluttony. And so we celebrate everything with food. We'll have steak night. We used to have steak night. Sometimes we'd have fried night, and that meant that we would fry everything. We would just get the fryer going, and if you thought that you could fry it, we'd fry it. We fried Oreos and green beans, and we fried everything, you know? That's got to be horrible for my arteries. Maybe that's why I have heart issues. I don't know. But, but all of those memories are woven together, and those habits of a lifetime become a cable, and cables are hard to cut, especially 
When push comes to shove, you don't really want to cut them. But the other problem is more severe. It has to do with my fallen nature. Defeating the old nature is hard too. You see, we're at war with ourselves. That's the problem. Um, it's, it's described in a variety of ways in the New Testament, the old man, the old nature, the old self, and that kind of stuff. I love the King James in this because it uses the word the old man. And when Paul is talking about that, uh, he, he uses that expression. But in the New Living, it says, here, here's what he says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, man, does that sound like us? I'm not the really, really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. You see, there it is. There's this, in this case, he calls it the sin living in me. In other places, it would be the old self, the old man. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. And I want to remind you that that was Paul writing those words. This isn't, this isn't Bill becoming confessional. That's Paul being confessional. Paul's saying, the, the very thing I want to do, I don't do, and that which I would do, uh, uh, that which I wouldn't do, I do anyway, because there's something going on in me. And so when it comes to keeping resolutions, my record isn't so great, um, because I've got these habits of a lifetime that have formed cables of patterns of behavior in me, and at the same time, I've got an old man at war with me, uh, calling me into doing the very thing that I hate. And so I, I thought about resolutions for a while, and I thought, well, instead of this always being so negative, what if we just sat down and made a list of all the good things that I like about myself and all the things that, uh, that I, I think make me a good and decent person, and I'm just going to resolve to keep doing that. How's that sound? And I'm going to walk away feeling a lot better about myself, but there's one big problem, and you know what it is. That won't bring healthy change. And truthfully, there are some things in my life that need to change because I have the same battle for spiritual growth that I have with these resolutions. I'm chained to habits of a lifetime and I'm at war with the old man. And a lot of people just want to give up and give in. I was driving to work this morning listening to my 80s playset, my 80s country playset, and an old Don Williams song came on. You remember him? The title of the song is Good Old Boys Like Me. And, and the lyric went like this, I guess I'm just going to be what I'm going to be. So what do you do with good old boys like me? Man, we can't do that because here's the challenge. Jesus wants me to live in love like he lived and loved. And to do that, I have to change. But how can I experience real change? How can I, a guy that fails so often in his resolutions, how can a guy like this experience true, lasting, authentic change. There are some people in our world that would say you can't do that. You are what you are. I, I, I don't believe that's true because I've seen change in my own life and I've seen change in the lives of other people. But how do I do it intentionally? How can that be a part? Um, here's, here's what I think it comes down to. Real change requires your whole heart. Real change requires your whole heart. It's so much more than just a list of resolutions. It's, it's an all-hearted moment. You can't do this half-heartedly. There's an interesting 
description of King Amaziah in uh, 2 Chronicles 25. It's his eulogy, and they're describing his life, and here's what it says in 2 Chronicles 25, 2. He did right in the sight of the Lord, and look at this part, yet not with a whole heart. And man, that kind of stopped me down. What a tragedy. What a terrible eulogy that would be. Though Bill's dead and gone now, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with his whole heart. I've got to tell you that I have been around a lot of church people in my life, and there are a lot of church people who fit this description. They do what is right. They show up exactly as they're supposed to do. They go through the motions of exactly what they're called to do, but not with their whole heart. And, man, I think as a result of that, there's never any real change in their life. I suspect the reason so many people live a defeated spiritual life is they never really put their whole heart into it because it requires your whole heart. If you're really going to change, it's going to require your whole heart. Transformation requires a wholehearted commitment. You say, well, what's that going to look like? Let's talk about that. And I want to offer two insights this morning uh, for that, and, then, and maybe this will help. First, giving your whole heart means making Him your first love. And this is one of the problems I often see in the church. People will begin by loving Jesus, but they wind up loving something else. Now, look, it's fine to love other things. I mean, we've all got things we love, right? I've, yesterday, I spent nine hours straight watching college football. It was a glorious day. There's nothing wrong with loving hunting or any of those things. They're all fine and good. But what you love can never be your first love. That's, that's where we're back to. That's what we're at. And you know, some people can even confuse that within church. And they can begin to love church more than they love the Christ of church. Are you following me? I mean, some love the ritual or the routine of it, and they grew up doing it, and there's a certain amount of comfort and nostalgia and warmth in the routine. I get that. I love that too. I, I love church. I love being around church people. I love church, everything about it. Well, not everything about it. Almost everything about it. But whenever we replace the relationship with ritual or routine, God rejects that. Let me show you. Isaiah 29, 13. Then the Lord said, because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and here's the sad thing, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. You see, God doesn't want our ritual or routine. He wants your heart. Psalm 51, David repenting says this, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. Here we go, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. It's not enough to love the ritual. It's not enough to love the routine. You have to love the Lord. It's about the relationship. You know, 
some love the militancy of church, right? And they become passionate about all the causes. The church at Ephesus was a passionate, cause-driven church, and, and, and rightly so. Ephesus was a church that was planted in a city that was dominated by one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the, the Temple of Diana or Artemis, and everything about the economy was based around temple and tourism. People from all over the world would come in to see this temple, to worship in this temple, and everybody was drawing their livelihood out of it. Now the church is telling them that that, that the pagan idols of this temple is a false hope and a false god made of wood, carved out of hand, and, and there's, there's no power in it, there's no future in it, there's no reality to it. And people are coming into the church, and it's affecting people's livelihood, and there's a reaction against that. And so Ephesus, by its nature of its, of its position in the community, becomes a, a very contentious cause-driven, militant-style church. And slowly but surely, the battle for the kingdom took place of the relationship with the king. And they loved the cause more than they loved the Christ. Sound familiar? It's happening today. Let me say, if you care more about your politics than you do about your Lord, then there's something wrong with your love. Because that's what was going on in Ephesus. And look at what they said to him. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false. I mean, this is a passionate church that is militant about their positions and, and their theology and the cause of Christ. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. I mean, all of that's this beautiful compliment. But look at what he says. But I have this against you, that you left your first love. And there it is. You can't love the cause more than the Christ. Um, he says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen. Isn't that interesting? He says that they have fallen. And yet this is a church who prided themselves on their stands. They thought of themselves as always standing and standing against this and standing against that and standing for that and standing. He says, but in your efforts to stand, you have fallen. Why had they fallen? Well, look at what he says. And repent and do the deeds you did at first. In other words, return to that relationship. Return to that love or else I'm coming to you and I'll remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. When we love the cause more than Christ, He removes the lampstand. He takes our light. He removes His presence. Ritual, routine, and causes are no substitute for the heart because God, in the end of the day, here's the thing He's after. He wants your heart. Y'all hear a crying baby today? You know, that's a beautiful sound in church. You know why? Because there's a mom and dad here, and that's where they need to be. So you just celebrate that, okay? And let's talk about giving our hearts to Jesus. God wants your heart. He doesn't want your ritual. He doesn't want your performance. It should be easy for us to understand this, right? 
I mean, I can understand it in my life. I don't want people mechanically going through the motions of pretending that they really love me when in fact their heart is somewhere else. Can you imagine if Amy did all kinds of loving things with me and pretended to love me and did, you know, all of these compassionate, caring things, but I knew all along she loved someone else? What kind of marriage would that be, really? God wants our heart. And we see this all through the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, uh, is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And Jesus, whenever asked what's the greatest commandment, he always returned to that, what they call the, the Shema. You know, Matthew 22, 37, he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And we get that, right? Nobody wants a, a mate that pretends to love them but doesn't really love them. I mean, no amount of loving action would ever make up for that. You know, you guys are older like me. You've got kids and grandkids. You don't want the kids and grandkids to come out of some obligatory duty that, oh man, we got to go see, we got to go see Pop, Pop and Mamie. But the whole time they're there, they're kind of looking at their watches, kind of hoping to leave soon. You'd rather have their heart at a distance than their bodies with their hearts. I mean, you'd rather have their bodies at a distance when their heart's with you than to have their bodies present but their hearts at a distance. Wouldn't you? I mean, that's exactly what God is saying. And so uh, uh, a whole heart means a first love. And the second thing is giving, uh, giving him your whole heart means making him your first priority. Not only does he demand our heart, but he wants... He wants first place, and we desperately need to give it because we're made for this. Let me just say, without a wholehearted commitment, we will always struggle with half-hearted change. You got that? Without a wholehearted commitment, we're back to resolutions, you're going to always struggle with half-hearted change. That's why my resolutions don't work. My heart's just not in it. I mean, it is, but it isn't because somewhere along the, the way, we don't change because we don't love what we want to be more than what we've always been. And so every year I make the same resolution. And that may be fine for resolutions, but it's not fine for a commitment for those who would walk in the righteousness of Christ. If I want to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved, i got to put my whole heart into it. And your love shapes your priorities. I mean, Jesus said that in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure is, there your, my heart goes with what I treasure. My priorities are determined by what I love the most. And when you love something, you don't have to be forced to do it. Now, I'm not a hunter, which is ironic because I live in a hunting world. I've got a friend that's a big hunter who's a counselor, uh, Matt Barnhill, who's going to be at the marriage retreat. And he says it's one of the most tragic things in the world that God would have put me in Monroe, Louisiana, not being a hunter. But I watch you hunters, and here's something I've noticed. Deer hunters love to have other people hunt deer with them. And they'll invite you to go with them, and you can sit in the stand, and they'll put you in a spot. Duck hunters are the same way. They always love to take people hunting. They want to show you where the ducks are. They want to be out there. But turkey hunters, turkey hunters are different. A turkey hunter is not going to invite you to go hunting. I don't know why. I've never been turkey hunting, but there's something about turkey hunting. Even really good friends who like to turkey hunt, they're at a whole nother level. You know what I'm saying? Am I right in this? Is this true? 
They're not going to invite you to come along. They're not going to take you hunting. They don't want to show you where their turkey is. Can you imagine a situation where it's turkey season? And I've had turkey hunters who have said to their families, look, don't get pregnant where the baby's going to be born in turkey season. This is serious. Can you imagine a situation where it's turkey season and he's not hunting? In fact, he's become a concern to his wife. And she's like, honey, I'm really concerned for you. You're not spending enough time hunting. Would you please go hunting? I mean, I know we've got to meet the teacher, but you don't really need to be at that. We've got a recital, but don't worry about that. I need you to go hunting. Please go hunting. Stop not hunting. Is there, any, is there any situation in the world where those words are ever going to come out of her mouth? No. And is there any moment where that scenario is going to need to be played out? You know, you're a turkey hunter. Would you please spend more time focusing on hunting? You don't have to be told. When you love something, it becomes your treasure, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, and you don't have to be forced into it. How do I know if Jesus has all my heart? How easy is it for me to want to be with him? When something's got your heart, you're going to be with him or her, and you're going to be there. And it just becomes a natural. Nobody's going to have to force you to have your quiet time. Nobody's going to force you to have to have to pray. Nobody's going to have to drag you to church. It's just natural. And here's the beauty of it. The more time you spend with the Father, the more we become conformed to the image of His Son. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Do you see that? That's change. Into the image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. You cannot gaze into the glory of God without it changing you. And this is where real transformation occurs. It comes as a natural byproduct of the priority of your heart and the priorities of your life. And when, and when he has your whole heart, here's the beautiful thing. When God has your whole heart, you have his whole attention. Did you hear that? When God has your whole heart, you have his whole attention. You're like, wait a minute, I thought God knew everything. He does know everything, but his attention is not focused on everything. Let me show you a verse I, I love, and I read this from time to time. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. When God has my whole heart, I have his whole attention. And here's how this works. You ready? When I have his attention, I have his support. It says he will strongly support those whose heart is fully his. And when I have his support, I have his blessing. And when I have his blessing, I have his power. And when I have his power and his support and his blessing, then I can really change. But it all starts when we give him our whole heart. Can I suggest something for January 1 for you guys? Instead of making a bunch of resolutions that you're going to do on your own and fail at again, Would you instead just say, God, this year, 
My purpose is to give you my whole heart. I just want to give my whole heart to you. I do not want it written on my tombstone, the epithet of Amaziah. He did what was right before the Lord, but not with his whole heart. So God, this year, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to tell you who I'm going to love. And I'm going to love you with my whole heart. Can we not do that right now? Would you just pray with me? And this would just be such a powerful moment before the Lord. If you would just say, God, here's my heart. I want you to take all of it. I want my whole heart to be yours. And God, I need your whole attention. I need your support. I need your blessing. More than anything, I need your power because I'm powerless over change. And it all starts with me giving my heart. Father, we give you our heart right now. All that we understand about us, we give it all that we understand about you. For some, it's the first time they've ever given you their heart. And in that moment, they're experiencing salvation. We thank you for salvation. But for so many of us in this room, Father, like, like, like the people of ancient Israel, we approach you with our ritual and our routine, but our hearts are far removed from you. Or like those in Ephesus, where we get so caught up in causes and militancy that we forget about the relationship and the person of Jesus. Father, we wanna live like Jesus lived, we wanna love like Jesus loved. And to do that, we have to change. But we're powerless over change. We admit that right now. And so we give you our hearts. Take all of us. We thank you that you do that through your great power. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.